You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. As I was preparing for this, and even as I'm here this morning, I'm aware of this sense within me of inadequacy. And, and as I was stewing in that inadequacy over uh, the course of the past few days in my preparation, uh, God reminded me of an encouraging word. And the Spirit gave me this word several years ago as I was preparing to be a pastor and elder here. Uh, and it can, comes from this little book, uh, Abba Calling. And I thought I'd just share it with you here this morning. Uh, I, as we've reached this point in uh, Luke's narrative, Jesus has gotten to this point where really uh, Jesus' reputation precedes him. And, and yet at this very point, Jesus takes a step back and he sends the disciples out and they go on their first short-term mission trip. And in so doing, he empowers them for this mission work. And, and so they may also have been having these mixed feelings of inadequacy, even along with the excitement of going. And, and I wonder if maybe the words in this book would have also spoken to them. Maybe they would have even been something like Jesus' words. So even as I heard from uh, my Abba from this book, I hope that here this morning these would be uh, God's words for you as well. Yes, I have taught you well. Thank you for holding fast to that which is good. I also appreciate your generosity in sharing with others all that I have lavished on you. However, you are beginning to realize that what I have taught you thus far is not enough. It is true, weary one. What you know has value only as it leads you to enter into who I am and into experiencing the wonder of who I have shaped you to be. Spiritual authority, what is it? It's simply the natural quality of leadership that emerges from years of walking with me. True spiritual authority doesn't need the officious looking trappings of worldly authority. Relax, I have called you to lead others now because I trust the teachable heart that I have formed in you. Without a doubt, your devoted dad. Let's pray now for our time. Abba Father, I thank you for your instruction uh, that's more precious than silver or gold. And we thank you uh, this morning for using simple people like us for your kingdom. We pray this morning for a teachable heart um, we pray that you would speak through your holy word and the power of your Holy Spirit. May uh, your calling on our lives be made clear. Uh, may our joy be complete. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So this morning, our uh, passage is from Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 9. And 
here we'll discover Jesus sending out the 12 disciples on this short-term mission trip. Uh, so Luke chapter 9 is on 866 in my Bible here. I think that's the one that's in the pews. And the disciples had recently seen Jesus raise a girl from the dead. Uh, they had seen uh, a woman healed from bleeding. They had seen this demon-possessed man uh, return to his right mind. And they had even seen a storm calmed. And the crowds were gathering around Jesus. Uh, but the disciples, they wouldn't stand in his shadow forever. Uh, soon they would step out and they would let their light shine, even as Jesus had called them to. So I hope that we grasp this excitement uh, and, and maybe a little bit of that inadequacy that they must have felt stepping out into this work. So if you would, um, please stand uh, and read with me here uh, the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you stay in, stay there and depart from there. Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Go ahead and take a seat. So Luke tells us that 12 disciples, now designated as the apostles, were being sent out. And unlike the prophets uh, of old, uh, or John the Baptist even, Jesus was uh, a franchisee. Uh, the disciples were about to deliver Jesus' nuggets, nuggets of grace and truth. And Jesus would empower them to carry this message first to the Jews and then to the world. See, they were beginning to realize that Jesus' teaching was not enough. It's not enough for us to just sit here in the pews. There comes a time when we must experience the wonder of who God has made us and shaped us to be in Christ. We realize that Jesus has invested his own spiritual authority into us, and he has chosen that teachable heart that he has given us. I think that J Jesus really knew people. Uh, he know knew that we're not all that great at listening, but we are good at imitating. And as you know, as you've probably heard it said, uh, your kids don't do what they say, they do what you do. And that's an important lesson, I think, for leadership. 
Jesus demonstrated that in ministry. He modeled the way. And now it's, it's time for his disciples to follow suit. And it's a big mission, but it's a short-term mission. And there's time to learn from the experience afterward, again, at the, foot, at the feet of the, the master. And perhaps it's time for us, or perhaps it's time for you out there in the pews to, to go on some sort of short-term mission. I, I still remember my first night as the primary on-call chaplain at Grant. And I remember going to work that night and praying that God would give me a quiet night. Instead, instead God gave me quite a night. And I think he had just you know, different, uh, different goals for that night. And no sooner had I arrived, but there was uh, this event happening in the emergency department, and, and somebody was coding, and and I, I had to go and meet the other chaplain and receive report. And even as I was doing that, I could see over in the patient room, the medical staff surrounding the patient, working on uh, attempting to resuscitate this patient. And, and in that moment, um, I knew that I would have to go face the family. And I felt nervous, uh, and I really I dreaded the inevitable. But fortunately, God was with me that night. Uh, he had not called me to abandon me. So I went and I, I met this daughter uh, in the family consult room, and she was tearful and she feared the worst. Um, and I did my best to listen to her uh, and to empathize with her distress. And I discovered her faith in Jesus. And so we prayed together. And, and as the code went on, we talked about her mother's faith. Uh, and God sent a peace and acceptance to her that night. And so I escorted her bedside, and I was present with her there as she made the decision to discontinue the code. And I stood there by her side as she wept over her mother. And there was this, there was no supernatural healing that night. But there was a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. And Jesus was there with us. And Jesus was there weeping with her. And showing her the hope that her mother, too, was at peace. There's nothing like being certain that Jesus will show up in power, especially when we are inadequate for the job. And when the disciples were sent out, I believe that they were sent out with absolute certainty that Jesus would empower them for their ministry. And as I was reading this passage, even in, in verse 1, it seems to indicate that the power and authority that Jesus was giving them would be performed by Jesus himself. It was not as if his power and authority was somehow their own. No, it belonged to Jesus. And they were somehow the lightning rod through which that power would be delivered. See, the disciples had just recently saw a centurion servant uh, they had seen this servant healed at a great distance. Jesus had not even had to be there. And, and now, it would be the same way. 
Even although Jesus would not be there with them, Jesus' power would be there, and Jesus himself would be performing that miracle. These miraculous signs and wonders were absolutely going to take place. If you haven't experienced a lot of um, miracles, I understand. You know, there's something about our American context that uh, it puts us in this place where we can be detached from these power encounters. Uh, perhaps it's a skepticism of the supernatural. I don't know. Uh, but it may help us to, to maybe look at it from a non-Western point of view. So during seminary, I had this opportunity to um, meet someone by the name of David Okai. And he was a pastor and evangelist from uh, the Assemblies of God Church in Ghana. And David shared the significance of power encounter in non-Western cultural settings. Uh, where the spiritual realm is already culturally accepted, David shared that Christian ministry is much more successful when accompanied by signs and wonders. John Wimber, a founding leader with Vineyard Church, describes power evangelism as a combination of power encounter with truth encounter. That's power evangelism. And this power evangelism can result in numerous people turning their allegiance to God. And, and this is essentially the script that we're seeing here uh, in the ministry of Jesus and in the ministry of the apostles. Uh, the script continues today. It continues here. And it continues in places like South America, uh, South Africa, and Asia. Uh, let me share with you this story from Mike Cater, uh, a missionary from uh, our association of churches. Uh, and he relayed this story from a woman in India. She writes, I was born and brought up in a Hindu family, and our whole family used to worship idols. The most dangerous uh, thing was an evil spirit that was working in my life. I used to be sick all the time. This devil spirit used to control my mind, and, used to become, and I used to become like a mad girl. In attempts to get deliverance, I used to go to Hindu babis, or gurus, uh, for casting out the demon spirit from me. But the evil spirit would always come back. My life was so hopeless, and my family was very distraught. After some time, one of, one of my relatives heard about my problem, and he came to my home, and he told us about Jesus. He shared the gospel and about eternal life and deliverance. And he took me to a pastor, and they prayed for me. God Almighty delivered me from the hands of the devil within the hour. I really thank God for my life. That day, my whole family and I believed with our whole hearts and confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. My life changed. All the evil activities of the devil, or of the devil spirit were gone. I am physically well and mentally very healthy. I have peace in my heart and mind. I really thank God for helping me come out of that hellish situation. I give all adoration and praise to my Savior. You know, you can join Mike Cater in experiencing these sort of power encounters in Nepal. He regularly invites people to join him. Maybe the Holy Spirit, even today, would place that on your heart to go and experience a short-term mission trip 
there in Nepal. Acts 1.8 says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witness, even to the ends of the earth. So we've, we've talked a little bit about um, the power of Jesus, um, but what of the message? Uh, what does it mean here that they proclaimed the kingdom of God? Um, it was certainly a, a reflection of, re- of Jesus' message. Uh, Jesus started his preaching ministry by exclaiming, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The disciples expected that the kingdom of God would be revealed um, as a return of the Davidic king of Israel. Uh, The Jewish community expected this to happen with the coming of the Messiah. Uh, So were the disciples uh, preaching that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, probably not, at least not yet. See, later in this chapter, when the disciples return from their short-term mission, uh, Jesus asks, What do the crowds say of me? Who do they say that I am? And although the crowds offer up a variety of interpretations, uh, Peter confessed his newfound belief that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, or the Christ, as we would say. Uh, Jesus, in this moment, tacitly uh, accepts this, but he immediately commands them to keep it a secret. They have a whole set of cultural expectations about the Messiah and the kingdom of God and what that means. And Jesus is working on reorienting what that would would mean for the disciples. First of all, it's not a geographical place on earth or a political kingdom. The kingdom of God was established by Jesus for both the present and future. Jesus claims that the kingdom of God has already come in a way that cannot be observed. Uh, He says this by saying in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is wrapped up in the power and authority of Jesus. And Christians, we enter into that kingdom uh, through trust in Jesus as our king. And they they question Jesus um, about the revelation even before he ascended. The disciples were still trying to figure this out. And they said, um, at that time... Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And they said to him, or he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is the current manifestation of a future reality. The Apostle Paul wrote that God has set his seal of ownership on us. He has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Those who presently commit their lives to the kingdom of God will experience this future kingdom in its fullness. Kingdom people live under the kingship, power, and authority of Christ. The Holy Spirit not only grants signs and wonders, but gives us this ability to live lives that are free from the dominion of sin and instead under the rule and under the protection of Christ. Uh, Jesus is going away for a time, but he's coming back to fulfill all those things regarding the kingdom. 
So I, I think it's fair to say that the disciples were preaching the kingdom of God here, but without a full understanding of the gospel. So I'm wondering, do you ever refrain from sharing the gospel because you feel inadequate? Well, you're in good company. Remember, Jesus was uh, delivering the demoniac just in, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, looking at Luke chapter 8. Uh, and he tells the, the once demon-possessed man to, to go and to tell all that God had done for him. And so he goes and he says and he tells what Jesus had done for him. He was making that connection. And he had, he had still very little of what the gospel really meant. So a big part of our witness for Christ is telling what Christ has done for us. Uh, the very way that Jesus sends out the disciples tells them to trust that God will work things out as they're going. He sends them on this short-term mission uh, with very inadequate material possessions, asking them to trust God that God will provide. Jesus says later in Luke, seek first the kingdom of God and your material needs will be given you as well. Our moments of greatest trust, uh, our moments of uh, greatest need often intersect with God's moments of greatest provision. These times can be a great encouragement for us to look back. And later in Luke, um, Jesus actually reminds them of this very short-term mission that he is sending them on. And he says, when I sent you with purse and bag or sandals, did you lack anything? And they answered, nothing. And he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. So Jesus wasn't making some sort of provisionless ministry as like a dogmatic uh, standard for every mission to come. Uh, instead, he was using it as a way to reassure them that God would provide for them and to encourage them for that mission field. I think the idea of abandoning material comfort is becoming very alien to us in our culture. Um, can we connect with the sojourner anymore? Uh, recently, it helped me to look at this group of migrant people known as the uh, Germans from Russia. Uh, actually, uh, these people... Uh, immigrated from Germany to Russia uh, at a time when uh, Catherine the Great was opening up some land there. And they settled uh, in the southern Ukraine and, and along the Volga River. And these German people, they faced many hardships in their new, new land in Russia. Um, as they were pioneering those uh, Eurasian steppes, uh, they poured a great deal of effort into just living they had this saying, actually, for the first generation, death. For the second generation, want. And only for the third was their bread. And they endured by their Christian faith. They endured as uh, Catholics, as Lutherans, as Mennonites, as evangelicals. And when Russia became less friendly to them, they had to move yet again. And many of them immigrated here to America, to the Dakotas. Sadly, many of those that stayed in uh, Russia then uh, were killed during the Soviet era. See, humanity has long been migratory, often leaving one place for another under really harsh, austere conditions. Um, and certainly we're aware of this in our, our present 
uh, culture and situation. I just think that perhaps maybe if we were a little bit more empathetic, we might also recognize how such experiences shape our faith and they shape our humanity. Uh, the Germans from Russia have this saying, think globally but act, act locally. Think globally but act locally. It reflects the idea that they may move anywhere, um, but they have this hope that others will go with them from their community and that they will establish similar communities of faith and with similar ethics wherever they go. So how about you? Do you, do you think globally um, but act locally? Um, are you a Christian first, uh, over and above being a Buckeye or an American or whatever you may be, second? Are, are you willing to give up some of the comforts of home? Uh, maybe there's a retiree here who would set aside some of the material comforts of retirement and would go, would go for a time out on some short-term mission trip and to see how Jesus might want to use you. Jesus indicates that there, there's no time to waste. No time to waste to get about this mission. Um, they're to dust, to dust off their feet and to keep going. And some of us, I think, would struggle with this phrase when Jesus says to, to dust off your feet. Um, I know I did when I read this. And it just doesn't sound very nice. Um, and as a chaplain, as I'm rounding door to door, I actually was able to, to make sense of this because I realized that when I'm going from door to door um, and, and looking to meet new people, it's not really about whether or not I can connect with every single person and whether or not every single person you know, needs something at that time. Uh, it's very important for me to recognize if somebody isn't interested to, to move on and, and to look for the next person, the next door down that might have a real spiritual need. Uh, the fact is that not everybody is interested in t talking to the chaplain. Um, so I think that most of the time when we don't dust off our feet and move on, it's because we've found someone that we're really comfortable with. Uh, you know, they're our type of person. Uh, and we stop moving on with our mission. Jesus is calling the disciples to shake the dust off their feet, meaning that they culturally treat the people of their own ethnic tribe as unclean as they would those in unclean pagan cities. Jesus is saying that there's a new kingdom distinction and that it's no longer a socio-ethnic distinction or a socio-ethnic affiliation. Uh, if all your friends look and act like you, you might be getting it wrong. Jesus calls us to remain with those who have ears to hear the gospel. And that is why we remain. Not because they dress like us, or they talk like us, or they have the same features as us. We remain because they're receptive to Jesus. In Blue Like Jazz, Donald Miller talks about this really quirky guy that, that bothers him. Uh, and nonetheless, uh, their friendship grows because Don is working on loving and being accepting towards this friend. So I ask you, are, are you willing to stay in a relationship or a friendship um, that, you know, 
the person kind of bothers you. Um, and if someone is interested in Jesus, um, but you really can't uh, stand to be around them, I just invite you to, to look at yourself and, and to ask, what type of person would I need to be to relate to this person? Maybe there's two college students here today um, that God would be calling you on a short-term mission where maybe you just even go to the next college town over and, and see what God might do there. Maybe meet some other students in their gathering places. Uh, engage in conversation and see what God would do with that. You'll never know unless you go. So if you start making waves for the gospel, expect some people to take notice. And sometimes these people won't have your best interest in mind. It's interesting that despite Herod's power, he's on the outside looking in. In the world, we see power held by the elite. We see the kingdom of God, though, working the opposite way. Jesus revealed the kingdom of God amongst the common people. It would seem that really Herod isn't trying all that hard to, to even see Jesus. Uh, he could have he won and, and sought him out, but instead maybe he's hoping that Jesus will come to him uh, in the environment that he's comfortable in, where, where he's in charge and he's the authority. But the insecure Herod seems um, just a little uncertain of, of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. This short-term uh, mission trip that the disciples went on, um, that would prepare them for the diaspora to come. Soon they would be spread out all over the Mediterranean. And, and yet, Jesus was using this time, this short-term mission trip, to refine them and hone them. Um, and, and despite their inadequacy, he was, he was preparing them for those, those challenges. So, I, you know, I hope that the Holy Spirit um, would lead us to, to look at our commitment to radical outreach. And maybe these four questions would help us apply that. Uh, one, do we want to know them? Uh, do we really fraternize with unchurched people? And two, are we willing to go where they are? Are you willing to go to the gathering places where people are getting together and mingling, uh, where people meet each other and engage each other in conversation? Three, are we willing to spend time with them? Uh, do you spend time with people that are unchurched? Do you go about your daily life in a way that engages them? And four, uh, do we want secular people, outside the establishment people, to come into our churches, to come into this church? And do we interact with people then who are maybe less refined than us, that don't have it all together? So as you ponder these questions, uh, consider who you might invite to the Discover Life series. Thomas Edison once said, opportunity is missed by most because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Nick, you, you're welcome to come up here in a moment. Um, 
Remember my first night as a chaplain? Um, at some point that night, I, I went into the bathroom and, and I looked into the mirror. And as I looked into that mirror, I said, this is a crazy job. And then I looked, and in the stall behind me, I could see two little feet. <laughs> and this so, so is the case that our inadequacies can, can be seen by others. And our inadequacies, can our inadequacies can certainly be seen by ourselves. And God knows them. But God also knows the power of the Spirit that he's put in us. And God knows who God is making you to be. You know, um, among that community of Russians, uh, community of, of Germans from Russia, um, those that moved here to the Dakotas, they have, uh, they have this special gift called bracha. Uh, and the brachers say um, that that word means, I believe in the healing. Another simply says, I don't have any more power than you, except that I believe Jesus helps us, and that's all. And Jesus said by, by his spirit that he would empower us to do more than we could do of ourselves. And even greater things than Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us, trusting that we would do even greater things than he did. That's what Jesus did for you. Jesus entrusted the gospel to people like us who don't have it all together. Let me, let me pray. Gracious God, um, thank you for empowering us through the Holy Spirit uh, for works greater than what we could ever do of ourselves. I pray that you here this morning would remind us of uh, whatever word it might have been um, that you spoke to us from this message that you would let that seep into us, that you would propel us out into uh, some sort of even short-term mission for you, that we would have comfort from knowing that we can come back and, and sit at your feet, at the Master's feet, uh, and, that, and that you would teach us and, and hone us for whatever, whatever you would have in your greater kingdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.